Namaste, everyone, and welcome to the Jai Bhakti Yoga podcast, where we share information on all things yoga, Ayurveda, and well-being lifestyle. I am excited to share these resources, insights, interviews, and so much more as we grow together on this wonderful journey of well-being. Now let's go ahead and begin with today's episode. Thank you so much for being here on today's episode. And today's episode, as we continue with the alchemy of the heart, we are working through overcoming grief and what grief actually does to our physiology from the Ayurvedic lens. This is in response to a message I received from a really sweet student that is going through the loss of his daughter uh, four months ago. I myself am going through the grieving process of losing my mom, of which this is her birthday week, um, Friday, and we are moving along the process of grieving and how we are working through healing. And I'll also, towards the end of our episode today, we'll be reading an insert of the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, verses 11 through 30. It's an edited insert of that. So, um, Let's go ahead and begin. So for those of you joining us, just go ahead and get yourself comfortable. Grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and um, open and listen with an open heart and a teachable heart as we come together today to go through this process. And for those of you just turning in and are not um, familiar with Jai Bhakti Yoga Foundation, we offer these conversations every Monday. We do a different segment and a different conversation um, through our podcast that we broadcast live here for all of you to enjoy. And um, for supporting us in any way, shape or form, just give us a follow here on the Instagram so you can be notified when we come live, as well as um, if you wanna do any practice in moving this chronic energy through the body, then feel free to support us through our free YouTube channel that you are welcome to take classes with me every single day at 8 a.m. And um, download the podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts at because we have podcasts every Tuesday. They go out live every Tuesday. They go out. And um, lastly, we have our community newsletter that we give out every week. So you'll be getting one of those this week if you are part of our community there with lots of information about our upcoming India retreat and um, lots of information about Ayurveda and information about uh uh, diet, nutrition, free workbooks, lots of free things. I like to really support our community with health as much as I can. I know it's really important, especially nowadays, and accessibility is hard. And so being able to have access to this is really important. So please, by all means, do that. And if you are becoming a member, we would love to have you be a part of our monthly membership. It supports everything that we do. And we're looking to have a 200 founding member strong. Everything that I just talked about is on our website, jbyfnola.org. So feel free to go over there and check it out because that is the biggest support for us right now is your support so that we can support you. And so thank you all again. Welcome back. And today we are talking about grief. Grief is a topic of conversation because grief not only has to do with the loss of a loved one, but it has to do with the loss of either a heartbreak um, for some of you going through the uh, Valentine's Day or coming out of Valentine's, going into Valentine's, wherever you are in the world, and overcoming relationships, breaking up, making up, creating new relationships, flourishing and growing within your own space, the loss of devastation and great ruin, 
And so there's a lot that works in along in accordance with what grief is. <clears throat> and so knowing where we need to sustain our boundaries and invite times to pause is very important. And you want to allow these times for rest and for processing and for exploring these emotions that are going to come up. You're going to cry. You're going to get angry. You are going to allow these emotions to stir. And this is part of being human and it's okay. Okay. There is no need to push yourself too hard during this process of transition. And you really, as my, as my favorite meditation teacher says, you just want to take it easy and you want to take it as it comes. A special friend of mine on social media posted a bit ago, um, the loss of his daughter and the hurts that he has been enduring since his recent loss. I felt utter compassion as I read his words and in remembrance of the loss of my mom, a few months ago, I had posted an image of myself walking in the cemetery with the words at the bottom of the caption was where you see death, I see life. And I will go into that a little bit more as you'll see when we get to the portion of the Bhagavad Gita. But where we say death is where I see life. And he wanted to know, how can I see this? How do I, how can I even say such words? As I reflected on his words before responding to his comment, I sat with a moment of grief for my loss and and how I felt the day that I lost my mom and not only how I felt when I lost my mom, but looking at my grandfather's face when he had to bury his daughter. And that was really hard. And I can com have compassion for this gentleman because I could see what a father is going through when he has to put his child before himself in a time where we are now departing and entering into the ancestral realm. No parent, no parent ever wants to lose a child, give them back to the source or of creation without them living their fullest life. No, no parent ever wants to do that. And a challenge indeed, and grief heavy, no matter the mask that we wear. As deep within we are hollow, could be broken, avoid numbness. And there are no words to edify. There are no words to edify and no external support that can change the pain within. My, my favorite thing about Ayurveda, as um, my friend and schoolmate, uh, Deborah Later says, is that it's truly beautiful. It's a poetic embodiment of all life. We can apply the principles to each aspect of our life. And it is important to do so because when we do, everything enlivens. Everything enlivens. The things that use to block or create resistance give way and we receive more of the nourishment our body is asking for. I believe there is such power in what we feed ourselves energetically and emotionally and that first determines our wellness. When these channels aren't open, if we are not allowing the flow spiritually, emotionally, physically, 
disease begins to manifest is what she says. And I couldn't agree with her more. Waves of grief that come, large and small, these are the moments of stillness. These are the moments of stillness. Joy and despair, memories that plague the mind and the cycles of the shadows that is cast with no face. Grief is each person's way of processing. They're processing deep loss, also a season, maybe a personal winter of hurt, and it never truly goes away. It is what we grow through. It is what we grow through and how we slowly take moments to heal. No one can, no, not one, no one outside can provide that for us. It is the time of human purification through the loss that burns. It impacts every aspect of our health. Deborah continues with the Manovaha Shrotas. And in Ayurveda, we know the Manovaha Shrotas, the Manovaha Shrotas to be the mental channel, the intellect channel. This is the channel that goes through the body and it goes through the processing. Okay, and this is the governing channel of thoughts and emotions. It reminds us that the things we think and infuse into our being, they do matter. They do matter even on a, on a chemical level, because if we are holding on to an intense state of fear, anxiety or stress, it will release the appropriate chemicals in response. In turn, Remaining in this state for a long period can lead to debilitating heart conditions, depression, and an insatiable amount of suffering. And this state of clouded intellect is known in Ayurveda as Pragya Aparad. Pragya Aparad. Suffering often helps to redirect our focus. It shifts our thinking from immediate circumstances so that we can listen to God concerning his work in our lives and it becomes our spiritual schoolroom. So I know maybe some of you probably don't want to hear that and maybe some of you don't even want to believe it and I'm going to tell you I respect you and I respect your decision and I expect and I respect exactly where you are right now. There's a lot of us that have trouble really connecting to that kind of a conversation or taking something so abstract and making it more tangible. So I completely feel you. I really do. But I also want you to keep in mind that I'm offering you this space so that you can have a teachable heart, a heart that will maybe give you some insight to maybe awakening just a little bit more another perspective that you haven't really evolved or even entered into yet only because you're just clouded by the grief right now. And I'm inviting you to know that I'm here to hold that space for you. And like it says in Psalm 119.75, in faithfulness, you are afflicted. And even more so in another translation in the uh, NIV version, it says, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Isaiah the prophet viewed suffering as a refining process. In New Orleans, Katrina, and in Puerto Rico, Maria, 
um, brought great ruin, great loss, and destruction, devastation, separation of families, uh, abandonment, and removal. And that in itself can create such grief because we are being pulled out of this spaces that we're so used to, that we've gone so accustomed to, and we've loved so much it has become a part of us and to be physically removed from such a space can create such heartache and such burden that it actually can create such grief when we're no longer within what we were most comfortable with and that being whether the spaces that we have been used to being in or the loss of a loved one the loss of somebody that has gone onto the ancestral realm and we're not alone in this experience we're we're not alone in the experiences of pain all experience um, is our own version it's our own version and however grateful you um to still be alive and present even in the midst of all of the things that have transitioned us um, Pragya Aparad can dismantle the world as we know it. And that's why most people prefer to remain on the surface, as Lily Tomlin says in the movie I Heart Huckabees. And this is why we need to learn how to see the blanket truth. And when we say the blanket truth, it's understanding that I am here having this conversation with you. You are wherever you are receiving this conversation with me and at the very same time there's a car passing by there might be someone on the ocean paddleboarding there may be someone in an airplane traveling to a beautiful country everything is happening all at the same time and this is what means to have a blanket theory the blanket theory of truth and so when we see this truth in time, it's happening in everyday life. It's in everyday stuff, as Dustin Hoffman then continues in the movie I Heart Huckabees. If not, what goes from pain to suffering will lead to a repeated mental cycle, and that's that pragya aparad, okay? And that enters through the body, through the manavaha shrota, and it will lead to the heartache, it leads to disease, um, a broken heart syndrome, and yes, it's a thing. And negative effects lead to the dampening or construction around the body's inner intelligence. The, um, sorry, the constriction. And that constriction can feel like a snake choking you, okay? So the feelings of darkness that stem from Pragya Aparad tend to be grief, uh, suffering and the like, and they are carried through the datus, through the tissues of our bodies, and create such disturbances. And some of these disturbances is mainly because the datus are just not happy. They're just not happy. And so this can lead to what we've called, it's called broken heart syndrome. And it's a thing. So the Mayo Clinic, if you want to go check it out for yourself, the Mayo Clinic has a study and so does Maharishi Ayurveda in regards to broken heart syndrome. And what is broken heart syndrome? It affects a part of the heart temporarily disturbing the heart's usual pumping. And this pumping function then it, it can cause this heart to not work properly and may even squeeze or contract the heart more forcefully. And this is what broken heart syndrome does. 
And that's why when it goes through the tissues, we know the heart area, the heart tissue tend to be known as rasadatu. Rasadatu, rasadatu agni is the fire of the heart that nourishes the rest of the body. And so the symptoms of a broken heart syndrome are treatable and broken heart syndrome usually tends to reverse itself within a few days according to the Mayo Clinic. Okay. And the broken heart syndrome in other terminology scientifically is in medically is known as stress cardi, um, cardiomyopathy. It's also known as Takosubo cardiomyopathy and apical ballooning syndrome to name a few. The symptoms can mimic a heart attack and they may include chest pain and shortness of breath. Okay. Indirect causes of this particular syndrome can be from improper diet, irregular routine, and poor relationship choices. So those are a couple of suggestions to keep in mind that also contribute to the broken heart syndrome and just in general, a defunction of the heart. So these are some aspects and concepts to keep in mind. And we've talked about this before in podcast prior, including the daily routine and the Agnes that we talked about our digestive fire and how this impacts us from our environment and what we take in. So to combat this, we want to empower one's resilience. So to, you know, to stress itself really, and to direct or indirect. This will improve the person's health by positively illuminating awareness or enlivening the inner intelligence towards this. The Ayurvedic layer that has to do with this is from a blog from Maharishi International University. And this is, this is a, a quick excerpt that says that the major Ayurvedic text, the Shadak Samhita, which I've given you access to online, describes an intimate connection between the heart and mind and says that the seat of consciousness is in the heart. The seat of consciousness is in the heart. As we have digestive fire, which we talked about, the Agni, to create energy, the same is true for each cell, each cell. So we want to think about the cellular metabolism, each cell, and that's that processing again. One function is in Sadaka Pitta. It's the subdosha of Pitta. And we remember this through Nadi Vignan, Vata, Pitta, and Kapha, Pitta Dosha, which is the middle finger, and the middle portion, um, or the top portion is Sadaka, which is the heart and the mind, okay? Now that we have learned this, and we already talked about this in the podcast before, I broke this down for you before, so you can go check that out. And it's associated with the heart and processing the emotions. In modern terminology, so if that's a little too abstract for you, then we're going to jump into a more modern terminology, more medical terminology. And this is the neurohormones are located in the brain and all over the body, including the heart. Those located in the heart send signals to the brain to register sadness or happiness, depending on how the individual processes and experiences. You dig? So when karma is over, the medicine comes to you. It's a joy tish principle. When karma is over, the medicine comes to you. It's how we nourish, it's how we grow, growing through the experiences. As life, as I continued to respond to this gentleman 
in regards to the loss of his daughter, as life gives birth to death and death gives birth to life, which is why I wrote, where one sees death, I see life, because it comes from the Bhagavad Gita, an inevitability that is part of the seasons of human life. No matter the age, death like the soul is timeless and is an equal opportunity visitor. His daughter and my mother and all those that we have loved and lost cross into the realm of the most expansive nature of consciousness and the realm of our ancestors and into the arms of the most divine. They have attained the Maha Atman AKA it's the great spirit, the great unity consciousness, the great God consciousness. And what I have written on my mom's marker is one in being eternally with thee. They will never leave you and they will always be present in your life. No one can tell you differently. No one can tell you differently. Your smile is their smile. Your hurts are theirs. And in time, the both will become one in spirit. As it is written, so shall it be done. You will overcome the initial sting of this pain and it will melt into the blossom of a beautiful flower, their scent, their name. And as humans, we grieve, but the spirit will rejoice. As the two have always been one all along as the two have always been one all along. As your parents, you've given your life and put life into your child. Your child in turn restores the life back into you. Four months ago is a fresh time for the loss of his daughter. 11 months ago, and this being my mom's birthday week is fresh for me too. And we need to give ourselves time to allow for processing this initial hurt. I still mourn the loss of my mom, who entered into the ancestral realm shortly after her birthday. Yet, I have seen the strength she infused within me as a child infuses in you. You will not see life the same again. And once the clouds begin to pass, the sun will shine and will reveal, reveal the very essence, the very essence of her gift in you or and their gift in you. Like that, your life will be very different and you will continue to evolve. It is part of the timelessness of the soul journey. When you attune yourself to yourself with a capital S, you go beneath the surface and remember Lily Tomlin said, you know, we want to remain on the surface to not really see the depth. So we remain on the surface. But when we start to tune into our highest self through meditation and yoga and really giving ourselves this time to nourish and heal, you will find the depth of your wholeness. This is an excerpt from the Bhagavad Gita that my professor John Collins sent to me when my mom passed away. You grieve for those for whom there should be no grief. Yet speak as do the wise. Wise men grieve neither for the dead nor for the living. There never was a time when I was not, nor you. 
nor will there be a time when all of us shall cease to be. As the dweller in his body passes into childhood, youth and age, also does he pass into another body. This does not bewilder the wise. Contacts of the senses with their objects give rise to the experience of cold and heat, pleasure and pain. Transient, they come and go, bear them permanently. That man, indeed, whom these contacts do not disturb, who is even-minded in pleasure and pain, steadfast, he is fit for immortality. The unreal has no being. The real never ceases to be. The final truth about them both has thus been perceived by the seers of ultimate reality. To know that to be indeed indestructible by which all this is pervaded, no one can work the destruction of this immutable being. These bodies are known to have an end. The dweller in the body is eternal, imperishable, infinite. He is never born, nor does he never die, nor, once having been, does he cease to be. Unborn, eternal, everlasting, ancient, he does not die when the body dies. As a man casting off worn-out garments takes other new ones, so the dweller in the body casting off worn-out bodies takes others that are new. Weapons cannot leave him, nor fire burn him. Water cannot wet him, nor wind dry him. He is unclavable. He cannot be burned. He cannot be wetted, nor yet can he be dried. He is eternal, all-pervading, stable, immovable, ever the same. He is declared to be unmanifest, unthinkable, unchangeable. Therefore, knowing him as such, you should not grieve. Even if you think of him as constantly taking birth and constantly dying, even then you should not grieve like this. Certain indeed is death for the born, and certain is birth for the dead. Therefore, over the inevitable, you should not grieve. Creatures are unmanifest in the beginning, manifest in the middle state, and unmanifest again at the end. What grief is, there in this. He who dwells in the body of everyone is eternal and invulnerable. Therefore, you should not grieve for any creature whatsoever. Those words helped me so much when I read them in the Bhagavad Gita, and I pray that they help you, for those of you that are going through a time and a season of grief and mourning, and whether that mourning is anything that comes to an end, as all things do come to an end at some point in our lives. So I want to wish you all well on this beautiful journey that we call life, and understand that love is the embodiment of so much more. It's an unconditional agape love that words cannot express. It's what keeps us moving and growing and flowing through all circumstances and transitions of life. 
as Rabbi Julius Gordon says, love is not blind. It sees more, not less. But because it sees more, it's willing to see less. You can message me anytime. And even if it's just to cry and share your emotions and your turmoils, I am very, very deeply here for you. It's why I do what I do. It's why I'm here for our community. And I do love you all with an agape love. I don't know you and I love you. <laughs> and I want only the best for you as we all need a support system somewhere, somehow, even if it's just to cry. Thank you so much again. I love you all for tuning in and I will see you soon. Namaste. Stay healthy, my friends. <laughs>